Guides to Happiness. Welcome to episode 30. Thanks to everyone who's listened so far and welcome if you're just joining us. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Chris and Kath. Hello. 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 <laughs> this is our last episode of 2021 uh, and the format's a little bit different as we look back and talk about some of our favourite moments so far from the project. But first of all, how's everyone doing? Good. Getting ready yeah. for Christmas. Getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> you weren't getting ready for Christmas the last time we spoke, though, Kath. Are you feeling a bit more Christmassy? I've actually done something, so I feel, yes, I'm mm. nearly ready, nearly ready. Yes. Getting organised. I... I feel so disorganised. Oh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it creeps up every year. <laughs> and then, yes, it goes right to the wire, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas is a is a source of shame for me every year. I just can't handle it. <laughs> it's, my uh, my wife and I were out just doing kind of the odds and ends of Christmas shopping. Susan, my wife, is just brilliant at Christmas shopping. She's pretty much done eighty percent of it by October. Nice. Um, so she just kind of always has that head on, always kind of looking out for something that might be right. I just, I just. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> we were we were going around a small um, gift shop in Gosforth High Street called Yumlush, um, looking for kind of bits and pieces like Secret Santa stuff. And I suddenly realised kind of what the feeling is like for me when I walk into a shop knowing that I've got to get a present for somebody. It's like I'm wearing a medieval knight's helmet, and the visor just kind of goes <laughs> right down in front of me, and that's all I can see. It's like being trapped trapped in this kind of metal. Bucket. Sounds very Monty Python. <laughs> it, it is. I wish it was as funny as that. It's like, I kind of have to kind of leave with a sort of raised heart rate and just get me out. So yeah, I'm I'm a yeah I'm pretty pathetic when it comes to getting sort of. I I had a, I had a whole list of Christmas cards that I need need to buy for you know like the special ones, and uh, so I, I went into a shop and I came out with about fifteen Christmas cards and not <laughs> and not one for one of my daughters. <laughs> Anything. How did that happen? So please, please don't tell one of my daughters that she didn't actually get a Christmas card in the in the. She was an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. Better, better not mention it on a podcast or anything. No, better yeah, not. Yeah, it's being broadcast around the world. Never mind. No, I hope she doesn't. Notice, I, notice, I didn't mention which one it was. So they can... They'll always be wondering. <laughs> How about you, Alex? Well, what's the crack? Oh, do you know I've. What's the crack? I've, I, I don't know. I'm just crawling. <laughs> I'm just crawling to the end of term, it feels. Just <laughs> every morning, one, one step closer to the end of term. You know, I think I've said it before. You know, once you sort of divide your life up into into half terms at school, the, the yeah. year just flies by. So we're kind of uh, gearing up to, you know, some of the sort of end of term kids activities, the, the, the Christmas party, the, the school dinner carols around the tree so uh yeah it'll be here before we know it that's the thing <laughs> but yes yes the tree went up at the weekend um i've got my lovely angel of the north tree topper oh, on the top good. of the tree uh, nice and sparkly on brand uh, yeah yep. yeah absolutely you know i was thinking the other day somebody must do an angel of the north tree topper mm-hmm. and then on facebook a local uh a local shop, I think it's called Pop-Up Studio in Lowfell. One of their posts was just, 
here's here's some Christmas toppers in the shape of the Angel of the North. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> is Facebook listening to my thoughts now? I was going to say, was, <laughs> yeah. was it thought transference? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to oh, try dear. that. <laughs> so on that note, who wants to start the ball rolling and talk about one of their favourite episodes of the Northern Guides to Happiness? I will. I'll kick us Excellent, off with this one. Chris. Go dare. for it. Yeah, it's almost like we planned it. Um, <laughs> don't spoil the don't illusion. Don't spoil the illusion. <laughs> illusion. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, this, this was a really interesting exercise because it feels like an awfully long time ago that we did those early episodes for this season of it. So the Northern Guide rather than the Geordie Guide. So trying to cast my mind back was like sort of trying to revisit a whole different, a whole different era. But I, I sort of knew who it was that I wanted to go back and have another listen to um, first off. And that was um, that was Michael Cunliffe, mm-hmm. um, who did one of the uh, did one of the early episodes. Michael, um, Michael's an artist. And the thing that really stood out for me about him um, and made you know, him as an artist really memorable for me. I mean, he, he, it was a lovely conversation. And also he has the sweetest picture for his episode It's just this little baby kind of stroking his beardy face um which is lovely and it was when he was kind of talking about his art um because his his subject matter is dark art and this is going to be a bit of a rambling explanation so i'm really sorry about this but the reason why that's, that's kind of speaking to me he does things which are kind of very kind of gothic very dark you know mm, colorful very yeah. dark but also sort of themes and um kind of representations of, of um, the human body and that sort of thing and it really strikes a, a, a strikes a chord with me at the moment. And I was trying to trying to work out why I've been feeling so weird for the last couple of months, because in one way things feel like they're getting back to normal, but in other ways, and because I was talking to my team today, because we're about to meet up in Bristol for a sort of big team meeting, and actually we're thinking, do we want to? Because mm. you know things aren't great yet, but you're kind of stuck in the middle. I feel really kind of stuck in the middle. It's kind of weird twilight zone. Um, sort of um, torn, isn't it? It's really hard to yeah make the right decision. Yeah. yeah. So so there's this cold kind of feeling of things not being quite right, um, and it's it's like <laughs> so this is going to sound very pretentious, but um, there's there's an author, a Japanese author called um, Haruki Murakami, who writes these sort of these novels which are kind of, sort of semi-fantasy novels. So life seems to be kind of normal, but then there's something really really weird, like there's two moons in the sky. Um, and life mm. isn't quite right, but it's all just kind of a bit unsettling. That's kind of how it feels. And it, it's that sort of feeling about sort of wanting to pay attention to the stuff which doesn't feel right, that actually to feel happy, to feel content, you need to be kind of looking at all this other stuff as well. So that was, so end of rambling explanation. There you go. <laughs> Got there. <laughs> Got there. Um, that that was why kind of Michael's um, thing really kind of stood out for me. But the the, the clip, I think, that um, that we're going to play after this is is when he was talking about you know the nature of pleasure and enjoyment and how yeah. understanding the difference between those two things is really really important for getting a proper grasp yeah. of what things make you happy what do people remember at michael's i've i've had the privilege of meeting and working with michael's which i, I think i probably commented on when we did the original in, interview mm. uh, commentary and the fact that i didn't know anything about his own art until I had to have a look at it because of the Northern Guide. Um, so it added a whole new dimension mm. to 
to him. But the other dimension, which you've already mentioned, was the baby. Oh, yeah. I didn't didn't realise there was a baby, and you're absolutely right. This is this. It's a most wonderful photograph. So I'm proposing for the next set of Northern Guide interviews or the next Christmas banter that we award a prize for the picture yep. that appeals to us the most. Yeah, I think, I think we've had some pretty good episode photos. I was thinking exactly the same thing as, as I was going through and I caught Robin's uh, mm. fabulous Ross. black and white photo behind Robin's the older camera yeah yeah yeah. awesome that's in my top three that one (laughs) as as far as michael goes as well i think what stood out for me was his uh description of uh, a giant fridge you know the art studio is almost like a a giant fridge door Mm. because at some point in our lives you know we, we stop putting our kids artwork on the fridge and our own artwork stops going on the fridge and why does that happen um but we should still have an outlet and a, and a way to kind of express and, and have our work shown if we if we want to, you know, in terms of art. So uh, I love that description of the fridge, the fridge door. These things stay with you. So anyway, here's Michael. So dark art makes you happy. As you say, the, the actual imagery isn't necessarily happy imagery i suppose in terms of mm. yeah, yes what what people would normally associate you know sunflowers sun you know nice and happy and, and shiny and, and bright but it obviously brings you happiness can you describe that yeah so it's uh one of those things and i don't know if it's um having mental health issues if it's being an artist um but i spend quite a lot of time thinking about happiness you know about what what that is um, and I remember, you know, I always wanted to be an illustrator. I always wanted to to do that as a job. That was my goal. So you kind of go through school and you go, right, get a degree. I went and studied on a fantastic course. And I remember just, just kind of sitting there with, with these, these works that I'd done and, and my tutors kind of saying, yeah, this, that's not really, you know, there's no work for that. That's not, oh, that's what? not right. You know? <laughs> And because you know they were commercially focused, they were it wasn't a world they were aware of. So I spent a lot of years kind of like, oh right, well how do I how do I make wine labels in a way that's satisfying to me? How do I, um, <laughs> you know, we, we we did a unit on children's book illustration, and I kind of enjoyed it, but everything was terrifying. You know, it, <laughs> it was not it was not going to fit the brief. So I went through this kind of period of like, oh God, well, what, what was it? You know, I remember being, being a kid and doing these drawings in, in books instead of listening to my chemistry lessons. And what was it about that, 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 that made me happy? And there, there's a psychologist um, called Mihaly Sismenhaly who researched happiness you know he he wanted to know why artists and musicians talked about this incredible state of of joy when they were creating but he also heard factory workers talking about it he said well these these are not the same thing we can kind of understand how an artist can be filled with with the creative spirit and you know carried away on this this serene happiness journey but why is somebody who's stamping electronic components talking about the same thing? And he suggested that there's a difference between something being pleasurable and something being enjoyable. Mm. 
and so you know pleasure is you know being giving a, a delicious cake to eat that kind of sugary satisfaction yeah you know just you know i'll have an extra slice even if i know that later on i'm, I'm going to regret it just in the moment it's wonderful you know that's that's pleasurable enjoyable activities are kind of baking a cake to share mm-hmm. with your friends so there's a whole process there that, that you're kind of aware of and, and enjoying you know even if even if it's not pleasurable so if a woman decides that she wants a pond in her back garden and she goes right i'm gonna pick up a spade i'm gonna start digging you wouldn't really call digging a big hole pleasurable you know that's not 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 an activity that like, oh yeah i can't wait to do that but it can be really enjoyable you know mm. there there is there is a satisfaction in that there's something comfortable happy content in doing that hard work and when it came to my art that really kind of resonated with me because what i like to do is kind of get into a zone and just let shapes come into being and see what they turn out to be so there's a a surrealist technique called automatic painting where the idea is you sort of switch off your conscious mind and just let the paint flow and i i don't necessarily believe it it taps directly into your unconscious or any of the the things they claimed but it's a definite sense of absolute contentment of of um just all of those things that you normally have going on in your brain particularly Mm -hmm. if you've got kind of anxiety issues and things like that they just go away because what you're doing is kind of moving the paint around and what I do is once I've got that kind of mess, I start to interpret it. And it's um, it, it's an actual, it's a thing called pareidolia, um, which is that tendency of the human brain to kind of see faces in things, to, to, to mm-hmm. create order out of chaos. So what I'm essentially doing is making a mess, interpreting it and seeing what <laughs> I end up with. And invariably what I end up with is something a little bit sinister and and creepy and the the bodies aren't the right shape and it's very dark but that isn't the 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 feelings that I associate with it so when I look back at my art what I tend to be hit by is that that feeling I had when I was creating it that that flow as as Mm. um, Sisman Harley calls it that, that flow state where actually everything just just exists in the moment and everything's quiet and calm and just seems right Michael, Kath, who are you going to talk about? I would like to highlight Dan Pye's interview of the Kielder Observatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the right time of the year to do that because of the dark skies. And wouldn't it have been amazing to be up there last weekend? <laughs> or um, <laughs> If, if you had a little pod that would just get you from your house to Kielder without any travel involved. I, I just had this this image of the dark sky crammed with stars up there looking at it. And and Dan's interview was so wide ranging and mm. it wasn't just the observatory. On one of my walks along the seafront recently, the the moon was just hanging. It looked as though it was about three inches above the tide line and mm-hmm. uh, and it made me think about about him up, up there and 
but um, you see, Chris goes for all the philosophical stuff. But, uh, it's not a good um, thing, Kath. <laughs> Kath brings it down to earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I will this time because I really, I really loved when he was talking about how he got interested in astronomy in the first place and mm. when he was nine and uh, and there were toilet rolls involved in the best <laughs> blue peter tradition <laughs> and i just thought isn't it wonderful that how how we go from one subject to another subject uh, throughout all of all of these interviews so i would highly recommend you to go and listen to dan pye's interview dan was great um it was yeah. it, like you say he had one of these kind of really interesting routes to the kind of where he's where he's kind of ended up, but yeah, I know, know what you mean. We, I was actually up in, it wasn't sort of Kielder way, but a part of North Northumberland a little while ago. So looking out at the, the stars, I have someone driving back from Edinburgh at the end of the, end of the weekend um, and just sort of looking up and sort of remembering that thing about sort of noticing the sky and paying attention to it and how important it is. And it was, it was just phenomenal, really beautiful, especially after the storm. Yes, and I know that Kielder has been hit pretty hard after I know. Storm Arwen. So, uh, so many trees have come down. And then I saw the uh, the footage on the news as well. So uh, I hope it's not too long before the forest is uh, sort of back in action and, and mm. uh, we can we can get back up there because it is one of my favourite places. Yeah. I have to say, Kielder, we've, we've camped up there a few times and... Yes, so remote, but uh, <laughs> wonderful at the same time. <laughs> that's why it is so. That's why it is so wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. So here, have a listen to this extract from Dan's interview, and then go and listen to the whole lot. <laughs> I remember we, me and my husband, went up to the observatory years and years ago now, and I remember we turned up. And it was just completely cloudy. You couldn't mm. see a thing. And we kind of turned up. There was a small group of us. And uh, the guy got the PowerPoint out. And we were like, oh, no, not the PowerPoint. You know, we want to see real stuff. And it was as if he knew that, you know, by the time he got to the end of the PowerPoint, it would all be OK. Because as soon as the PowerPoint finished, the skies just cleared. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and it was just like it, was like, like it was meant to be. It was fabulous. It was great. Yeah. Oh, it was just such an amazing amazing experience has there been any standout moments for you while being up at the observatory um i think the the most standout moment was the very first time i saw the aurora from the observatory uh that was that was a really incredible experience um it was a great display as well but it was just it was just such a, a magical experience i guess I, I tend not to use that that phrase too too regularly it's usually reserved for things like <laughs> disneyland but um it was uh, yeah it was certainly a magical experience to see these lights dancing across the sky was just unbelievable that was really breathtaking and the real depths of winter when you get a spectacularly clear night Every one of those is is generally a, a, an incredible experience when we've got no moon in the sky and we've got this incredible vista of the Milky Way and we can see objects with the naked eye like Andromeda and, and all of these things. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think we when, when we were there, we saw the Andromeda galaxy and I think we, we also just sort of looked through the telescope at the moon and just looking at the moon, you just, through a proper telescope, like the detail was just incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the moon. The moon's always a winner. In fact, I, I love the moon being out because it, it's the first thing that I can remember actually seeing um, through a telescope when I was when I was uh, just a kid. 
at a little public observatory near where we lived at the time and it was I still remember exactly how the moon looked through that I mean a, a lot of it might be slightly diluted but I have this vision in my mind of what I remember it looking like and it looks like exactly how we see it through the telescopes at Kielder so hopefully the people who come to the observatory and see that for the first time have that same experience as well to pick one of my favourites. Well, I I picked... I mean, I I, I can't pick favourites, but I have to for the purposes <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> so I'm glad uh, some of my other favourites have already been picked by, by you two. But uh, for me, Zara was a real highlight for me, especially when she was um, talking about blue space and you mm. know, the importance of it. Um, I, I thought it really... <sighs> Just sort of helped sort of bring together all of the other interviews that we've we've had on on the podcast so far because without sort of a man you know staging it or, or planning it in any way so many people have talked about how the coast and the river tyne or, or wherever what other blue space there is in, in the northeast you know but particularly the coast mm brings so much happiness and contentment to so many of our interviewees I think um, that was really interesting to so to hear from someone who sort of works in that field of marine biology and, and looking after our, our rivers and coasts just to kind of talk about the, the the science and the research that actually there is something there about blue space as well as your green spaces as well but there's just something special about blue space but in the clip that we're going to play, she talks about that that responsibility that we have to therefore look after those blue spaces when so many of us are flocking to them, especially during the pandemic. So just with everything that's been going on with uh, all of the climate change discussion recently, you know, it's really important that we look after our blue spaces because they are so important for our well-being. So that's why I pick Zara. Yeah, Zara, Zara's a good pick. Alex, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in in politics recently about waterways and the cleanliness of waterways and uh, and so on. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right that there there was something. She kind of set the trend for the whole the whole thing. It was it's like the, the abiding trends for some reason with with this series have been blue space and lifeboats. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure mm, what that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, no, it's a very good call. It's it's funny because lifeboats was another one on on my list as mm. well, but. On my long list, um, the thing about about Zara, she she really did bring science to life. And over the weekend, when I was again when I was walking along the coast, the amount of seaweed that had been hurled up over the top and onto onto the, the main road along the seafront at Tynemouth, and I didn't know what it was until I'd walked past it for a little while, and it suddenly dawned on me that it it's seaweed. How did that? get there the power of the Mm. the power of the sea was just amazing so so she really helped me with my understanding well here's zara talking about blue space quite a few of our interviewees on our geordie guide and our you know northern guide as well have, have talked about the importance of the sea and the 
you know, the love of being close to the coast and how, you know, here in the northeast, we've kind of got the best of all worlds. You know, we're, we've got a great urban, we've got great urban centres, we've got a wonderful countryside and then we've got a fabulous coast. Why? I mean, you might not know the answer to this, but, you know, why do you think that is? Why do you think people have such a strong desire and connection to be, you know, near the sea? Um, it's a it's a really interesting question. I think um, certainly during the last you know twelve plus months, it's become really evident not just in the northeast, but I sit on some coastal groups, so we've seen it across the country. As soon as lockdown restrictions lift, everybody flocks to the coast, and it's really interesting because prior to COVID, we were. Um, discussing the health and well-being benefits of blue space and comparing mm. it to that of green space so green space going to sort of you know driving up into Northumberland maybe a national trust property and how that makes you feel and comparing it with blue space so vast open blue space whether that is the sea or say a large tidal estuary or large expanse of water and how that makes you feel and there's some really interesting academic research out there which shows that your your well-being is greatly improved when you're you're at the sea well, I mean when you're in nature it's greatly improved but when you're actually in blue space it's it's much higher the, the, the feeling of well-being, much greater, sorry, much higher, much greater. And, and there's actually been some really interesting research where they, they looked at pain. So people who'd experienced, who, who'd recently had dental treatment and then monitored their pain levels, whether they remained like an urban environment, went to green space or blue space. And in blue space, the individuals appeared to experience less pain. So not only is it well-being, but it has health benefits as well. And I guess it's something we know for, you know, we, we've known this for for a long time. You, people go, it, people have always sort of flocked to the coast for medicinal purposes, if you look at, you know, historically. But we're looking at that now and really looking at, at, at the benefits that can bring to society, especially when we have so many issues around health and well-being and also access as well. Blue space and we found this in, in, in between the various COVID lockdowns we've had, blue space is really accessible for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's usually a lot of blue space you can access from quite densely populated areas, so it's easy to get to. So it's more accessible for a more diverse range of, of people. So, so it's great, but what we have to realise is with all these benefits, it also comes the responsibility of managing the impact on the environment of all these sort of hundreds of people flocking to the sea. I think it's brilliant that people want to go there. I think it's brilliant that people experience this wild kind of nature, like the sea it brings me so much pleasure, but I also find it terrifying. Um, it's just, mm. it's you know, the power of it. So I think it's brilliant that people are accessing it. And then it just becomes about how we manage that and how we educate and how we get people to protect it. And, you know, we've all seen pictures of, of sort of play, the impact of people accessing nature, parks, the, the coast and the, the sort of litter that can be left behind. Chris, you're up next. Okay. Um, so I thought long and hard about, should, should I go for a pick that was actually one of the people that I interviewed? And I thought, yeah, why the heck not? Yeah. But then, then I had to choose one. It was really hard because they were all brilliant. <laughs> they were all really great. Nice kind of range of people that I spoke to. You know, people like Chris Stewart talking about foods. Um, Alison 
standing talking about neighborhoods and play out streets and stuff but it, i think for me one of the things that really kind of stuck with me was the conversation i had with carol moxham about being a speech and language therapist and communication and how important that is uh, i mean she was she was genuinely great fun to talk to and you just know that all these students that have her as one of their lecturers or tutors you know are going to get so much out of, of of working with her with her approach but it she was another one of these people that we talked to that is just full of passion and enthusiasm and energy for the things she does it's it's the source of so much of her happiness so yeah for me it's uh it was it, it was carol i think that's just sort of really worth going back and having a having another listen to but as Kath says go and have a listen to all the others as well because they're all great <laughs> <laughs> It was it was Carol that had the office door that you couldn't see, wasn't it? Yes, because it was covered in drawings <laughs> and cartoons and, yes. uh, and everything. She also had the really noisy office, which I was a bit worried about how Emma and Jordan were going to take with sort of editing all that down, but they did a sterling job. Ah, uh, the joys of post-production, oh, yes. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I was really surprised um, at how well received it was on social. You know, so many speech and language therapists on social media particularly on twitter really sort of picked it yeah. up i was yeah pleasantly surprised i didn't think it was a it would be such a big thing but yeah so many people were interested in it it was great well, i think to see. yeah i think carol inspires people and mm. that's uh, that's something that, that came out a lot so here's the bit of the conversation where carol was talking about meeting up with some of the young children that she'd helped in previous years after they'd all grown up client confidentiality is obviously going to be really important Mm. Um, but are there any sort of moments or instances in your your career where you've sort of noticed somebody somebody making with your help that sort of breakthrough oh well I was in tears on Friday because uh, I'm really blessed I think because I do something that I love and I feel Mm. passionate about Um, during lockdown, I have to say, I kind of was <laughs> losing some of that passion, but that was more to do with the situation. But I absolutely love what I do. Now, I've had, um, for me, the biggest thing is not what you have or haven't got. It's about your approach or attitude to that thing. So mm-hmm. if you're really struggling, but you have a sense of, if you have resilience, you have motivation, you have self-assurance that you're going to get there if you just find the right keys to help you move forward those for me are are the basics like self-esteem confidence belief and Mm. a lot of my children come to me and their self-esteem and confidence are in the shoes yeah so for me in a way it's almost secondary that they can't string a sentence together or they can't write their name and they're 12 and they don't know the alphabet and all of these things yes those are important but you need to get that sense of i can do this Mm-hmm. I will get better. I'm going to get there. And that, for me, is the most important thing to do. And I've had two incidences. One happened over lockdown where a child had been to clinic. It was about 10 years ago. And he was one of the worst, you know, the, the profile in terms of the sense of difficulty. He was so low about his own ability. And he was so significantly impaired. And... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to stop that. Somebody wants to talk to you. <laughs> well, so, yes, so I spent a lot of my time through the students working with that child to develop their belief 
And my whole approach to intervention was about building a person's self-belief as well as helping them acquire the skills that they needed. Mum mm. co- contacted me, this is 10 years on, to say, oh, just wanted to let you know that, you know, my child has just got a place at university doing X. Mm-hmm. And and it was just, it was wonderful. And then I had another one um, who contacted me again uh, just a couple of weeks ago to say um, her son had gone into university was doing law. And they came into the building on Friday mm. and uh, Alison said, I need you at the office straight away. Something important's come up. And I was thinking, oh no, what's happened? Because it's just before clinic. So it's better yeah. than before clinic. Mm. Um, and, and then she came out and her son, who had last time I'd seen him, he was about seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a, a little short thing. And now <laughs> he's like 18 and this big guy, you know, looked like a bloke. And... Um, and he was just uh, he said he said thank you very much for all the support you gave me and i wouldn't have done it without you and just gave me this massive you know bunch of flowers and uh you know and it and it was lovely it was really reaffirming but i do get you know people do get back in touch and do say you know Mm. you've really made a difference Um, and that is the you know money uh, you know nothing can nothing can uh, top that really knowing that you've impacted someone's life in such a positive way just through doing what you enjoy. Okay, Kath, what's your final choice? Final choice? Tom Corker. Yes. Ah, Tom Corker. Great choice. (laughs) I think this one gets better the more often you listen to it (laughs) because there's so much, so much in it. And when I listen to it again... I had several different impressions that I remember from having the first time round. But the extract that I've chosen is covers two two sort of areas and one of them is how he how his understanding grew over time of happiness mm. from being seeing himself as an outsider and uncomfortable with that to moving to a point where is comfortable with himself and his his position in the world, and is is comfortable with the notion of working at being happy, um, mm. and I thought that was incredibly wise, and uh, I really a- appreciated that. But then he moves on because you 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 ask this wonderful question about have there ever ever been standout moments in your life, and immediately oh the baby. Mm the baby and it was just the way you said it I thought that that is such a one a wonderful way to to describe a hugely emotional event so you've got to listen to this clip just to hear him talk about about the baby how it changed his life and it's it's almost not so much what he said it's, it's how he says it mm. happiness is a sound in a lot of our recordings I think you can hear you can hear happy people. Or, <laughs> yes, yes um, in, in the tone of their voice. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so please, please listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Tom's episode is up there with kind of one of the best photos as yes. well. It's a, it's a great image. Him on the decks. <laughs> so colourful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, love it. Yeah. yeah. There was so much kind of history in, in Tom's thing. You kind of knew you were talking to yeah. somebody that had been right at that, right at the yeah. centre point of things changing and you know there's so much kind of exciting stuff going on there so when you think about oh you know he owns a club owns a nightclub whatever actually there's so much 
more to it than that. It was proper, you know, properly, properly culturally significant and just and just great yeah. and a fabulous listen. Yeah, I wonder whether he's written that book as well. well I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back and ask him or say, please, please send us a tweet or have you written a book? Tom, written a book? <laughs> Tom what are you doing? Listen to this. You should be writing. Come on, we're waiting. <laughs> So let's let's go on and let's listen to uh, Tom's extract for for our Christmas show. <laughs> Social media can be something which can warp people's heads. And I feel sorry for young people today that they've got this massive influence on their lives. And that's why I think uh, music is more important than ever, to give you somewhere to go where you can get away from that, where you can gather your thoughts and hear the thoughts of other people who, who, you know, who, who are not involved in that. You, know, you, can, you can have a moment in time where you can take, take a literal step back from society as it's displayed to you. Because there's no doubt about it. Social media, the government, the whole idea is we're going to bombard you with bad news so you'll just sit in your house buying things on your credit card that you can't afford and the big companies will get rich. They'll pay the, they'll pay the government off and they'll just be a load of, few people get richer and richer and richer and everybody else will become a mental slave. That is the idea of society at the moment and I resist that at every turn. I want to see freedom. I want to see independence. I want to inspire young people to believe in themselves and I want them to take time out to dream and think and get into music and develop their own ideas and develop their own sort of countercultures. You know, more, you know, will they cut as a successful sort of counterculture is an example to other people that yes, you can do it, you know. And it's also an example that, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, black people don't just have to, you know, deal drugs or be involved in sport. You know, I'm a successful black businessman and I'm outspoken and, uh, and, and, I, and I'm proud and I'm respectable, you know. I'm not someone who you're going to see, you know, involved in a scandal because I won't get involved in a scandal because it, it, it's really important that guys like me succeed you know because I, mm. I have to be a role model to other kids because the, the only role models I had as a kid were people like Muhammad Ali you know and there ain't no Muhammad Ali's out there now <laughs> you know I suppose LeBron James is pretty good but there's no one really as strong as that so it's important that as we stand on the shoulders of people like Muhammad Ali that you carry on in a way that Muhammad Ali would, would approve of and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a, sort of a child of him you know if I had to sort of my virtual parents are Muhammad Ali and Joni Mitchell and I don't want to do anything that pisses off either of them you know <laughs> they're both to be proud of, proud of the things I do you know that's a great combination <laughs> yeah yeah well they brought me up right <laughs> have there been any um standout moments in your life you know particular happy moments that really stand out for you oh god yeah 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 I mean the birth of my children Buster and Sunshine the birth of my children was just amazing when my when my, my son was born first when he was born and he went from being the bump to being this little baby I just couldn't <laughs> believe it I was you know my legs were wobbling and it, I mean I think it's the same for everyone when you when you see a, a, a birth it just blows your mind last choice is a relatively recent episode and it's with Lucy and Paul mm. from For the Love of the North. I, I had such a good time uh, talking to these two. Uh, they were well behaved <laughs> as a double act. I'm always a little bit nervous about talking to two people at Gosh, once. That doesn't um, always happen, does it? <laughs> but they, they, they had it down to a fine art. Mm. I think they must have done it before. But um, yeah, I could really relate to them uh, personally as, you know, small business owners 
um, just that sort of journey. Oh, I don't want to sound all Simon Cowley with the word journey. Oh, I've said it now. Oh, well. But just that waiting to take that step, mm. I think, into self-employment. And yeah, you're sort of standing at the edge and you're wondering whether it's a good idea or not. And you just take that plunge and you hope you hope that it goes for the best and for me it was I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast or not but back in 2007 I was involved in a really really quite bad car accident and mm-hmm. uh got out okay 70 miles an hour on the the M1 motorway God, and wow. car rolled and landed on its roof um but you know I got out and I was all right and I think ever since then I've always had a bit of a what's the worst that can happen mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. and just give it a go and what's the worst that can happen if if it doesn't work it doesn't work at least you've given it a go and I think I'd kind of got to that point in in my career at at the council and I thought I've got to I've got to give this self-employment lark a go and see what happens and if it doesn't work at least I've tried and I could sort of see that sort of similar drive with with Lucy and Paul they were both in in jobs that they weren't particularly happy with and they wanted to spend more time together um and yeah they just sort of yeah took the plunge and and started what is now an incredibly successful business based in Spanish City in Whitley Bay so I think that's why I've picked that one the clip that I've chosen I I asked them the question what does for the love of the north mean and they give me a great answer on what they feel it means so uh but what did you two think of of that interview I love the idea of for the love of the north and these two being there doing this thing in about sort of 20 years time completely kind of part of the landscape something that everybody knows about you, know, you go to Whitley Bay Spanish city ah, you go to for, another, for the love of the north and it's you just going to go and browse and they just become part of the landscape um and it, it's kind of nice to hear the story at the early stage of that early stages of that yeah so I really wish mm-hmm. them well with it I think it's a fantastic adventure they've done it's a, re- a re- real adventure absolutely yeah, yeah. I think it was the success that really impressed me mm-hmm. and we don't shout about success en- enough um, you, and uh, particularly when I had to look at their website and, and then realised that it wasn't, it wasn't just this beautiful shop because mm. it is a beautiful shop in, in the Spanish city but to think that, that people who've gone gone through those difficult times as they did with their their careers or previous careers and then took the plunge to do this and do it exceptionally well we, we don't celebrate that sort of thing enough i don't think hey kath maybe, maybe i should go there to do my christmas shopping <laughs> maybe that's the cure <laughs> that's, that's yeah. inspirational yeah. Yeah. actually chris <laughs> yes Get there'll yourself. be no helmet coming no. down and you'll be no. fine <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a superb suggestion. Well, <laughs> for the next 20 years, you'll be doing your Christmas shopping. I love it, they know. <laughs> well, here's Lucy and Paul. So you've kind of hinted at this already, but what does for the love of the North mean? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, at its most basic, it, it is... The love of the north. Well, mm-hmm. it's the love of the north. But love of the northeast is is is, is, is yeah. more realistic because that that's the bit that we promote yeah. and do all of the blogs it's, on. It's that pride and passion in the area. You know, as the you know, you know, you, you, you wherever you go, 
you know, you people, you know, they, they, they love where they live, you know, people are very, you know, proud and stuff. But I think in the Northeast, it's, it's an extra level, you know, people, I don't think you can meet people who've got more of a sense of passion and pride and heart than the Northeast. It's very special to them. And, you know, mm. that, I think that's why we send so much stuff, you know, via the website, not just obviously, you know, have the, the, the shop for, you know, people visiting in the local community, but we sell stuff far and wide globally to all the expat Northeasterners, you know, people who live far and wide now, you know, they can't, get, you know, obviously for the past few months they haven't been able to, to reach the Northeast like they would normally do. So that sense of the place they called home has resonated with them even more. Mm. And I think as well, and I wanted that little bit of it. Oh, yeah. they do. I mean, one of our regular yeah. customers is in New York, um, <laughs> which is just yeah, lovely to send them packages, isn't it? But global, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for the North as well as it as it has grown, has I feel come to represent maybe a little bit more in terms of the work that we do with the artists, the collaborations. But also the whole sort of shop small, shop local ethos that we we do try and promote all of yep. the time. Yeah. Um. You know, we had a month of shopping small where we were shopped in a different small independent business every day for a month, etc. We're we're firmly anti Amazon, and you know, it, it is about supporting our local businesses, the manufacturers that we're working with, and and it is pride in that, but it. I feel like it's something slightly more essential and has been particularly over the mm. last few months, etc. And and mm. it's about that community and creating that sort of togetherness. So it, it, it's interesting as, as that develops, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So supporting local business, small business, supporting the local community mm. is something that's important to you. Why, why is it important to you? And is that somewhere that you you find happiness supporting those small businesses and communities yeah it be, be, because you know with respect to the small businesses the small businesses are the 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 lifeblood of the high street you know they they're so unique they're, they're they're offering something you know a specialist service and the people who run them you know like what we've done you know it, it's a thing where we've you know completely changed our our life it's it, it's our you know our livelihood now but we care about it, you know. We're, we're not just in like a big corporate chain where you just rack up for work and, you know, you just take the money and, you know, you're not that bothered and invested in it. You know, people who run small businesses genuinely care. And if it wasn't for small businesses, high streets, which, you know, have been having such a rough ride the last few years, they would be pretty beige, grey, dismal, boring places, you know. So it, it's it's really about getting people to you know behind that shop small ethos and, and and you know it's it's things like the just a card campaign where you know even if you do just you know sometimes people come into our shop and they'll say oh i'm sorry i'm just buying a postcard i'm just buying a card and you say no that's just no it's just you, you, you yeah. it's not yeah. don't say just you're making a massive difference because if everybody did that you know it's it's yeah and and, and i do think that that does bring us happiness to, to be part of that community mm. of small indie businesses and you know where we can offer support in terms of mentoring or whatever that we have been able to do or, or doing has, has been great and the support that we've received in turn 
Um, running your own business can be incredibly lonely and to to have that community around us, it, it's incredibly important. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is. So that was our six clips uh, as highlights for the Northern Guide to Happiness so far. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the North East through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. We've got lots more fabulous interviews coming up in the new year, so we can't wait to welcome you back in 2022. We'll also be launching a new workshop and events programme as part of the project. Lots of exciting activities inspired by some of our interviews, so keep an eye out on our socials for more details of those. So that's it from us for 2021. We've had so much fun with this project so far, and we want to say a big thank you to all our interviewees, our producers, Dominic, Emma and Jordan, our marketing expert extraordinaire, Emma Pybus, for all their hard work on this podcast. We couldn't have done it without you. Take care and see you all again in 2022 for another episode.